I tell you, I'm ready for this morning. Yesterday, I had the privilege of being a part of a worship service uh, for one of my friends, pastor friend of mine, David Outing. He's preached here. Uh, the service was a, a really a kind of a light affair, three and a half hours. You know, it makes us feel like, you know, what wimps we are. Uh, we're only here an hour and 15 minutes. So uh, good news. We're not going to go three and a half. Um, uh, probably, hopefully close to an hour and 15, but it's just awesome being in God's house. Is it not? Is it awesome being in God's uh, presence, uh, being under God's word? Uh, welcome to y'all. Um, my hope and prayer is this, is that you're going to find a warmth and an authentic place of worship here. Uh, I know yesterday being in new surroundings for me, uh, I feel a little uncomfortable at times when I'm in a new church. So if that's you, uh, I hope the uh, God who loves, the God who is, will make you feel right at home, right here. Uh, a group of people here who need Jesus a lot. We're broken, we're torn, uh, but boy, are we loved by a God who is, and it has changed our lives from the inside out. We're people of God's word. Uh, we believe because he loved us, he gave us a love letter. Uh, we believe it's true. Uh, we believe it will teach us how to live a life that brings him uh, fame, glory, uh, to live our lives in a way that brings us meaning and purpose, uh, focus. Amazing words that were written years and years ago. Uh, we believe have life because they come from him. So today we're going to start a series in Nehemiah. Interesting where we're going to start. We're going to start actually reading in Ezra. I'll give you a little more detail on that in a minute. But turn with me in God's word to Ezra 3. We're also going to read out of Nehemiah 2. We'll begin in Ezra 3, verse 10. Mindful that we're reading God's holy, inerrant word. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord... The priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to God, singing, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. Sound familiar? Saying that today. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites, heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen that first temple, that first house of Solomon, they wept. They wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout and the sound of people's weeping. For the people shouted with such a great shout that the sound could be heard, they say, far, far away, like miles away. As they gathered as God's people and shouted to him. Nehemiah 2, verse 17 through 20. Then I said to them, this is Nehemiah, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of God that has been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise and build so they strengthened their hands for the good work. 
when Sanballat, the Hornonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, servant of Geshem, an Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we are his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Let us pray. And Father God, I pray that you would bless not only the reading, but the preaching of your word. That God, that you would give us ears to hear from Jesus, our Savior today. That you would lovingly shine the light of Christ into our minds, especially the darkened parts of our minds, so that we can understand what does this mean for us today? What does Ezra or Nehemiah have to do with Orangewood or our lives? God, would you shine that truth into our minds? God, would you lovingly wrap your hands around our hearts? Many of our hearts are broken like the people that came that day to the dedication of the temple. They saw the foundation that was laid and and they wept. They wept for all that was not. God, there's many in this congregation that come here today, I know, with heavy, broken hearts. God, I pray that you would meet them, bless them, and allow them to sing in the midst of the rubble of their life. Father, for all of us, may we so come in contact with you and would you give us a heart of faith that all of us together may proclaim the riches of Christ, that we may sing together in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the the heights of excitement. Would you teach us to sing? The song the world needs to hear. The song of Jesus. Father, would you empower our feet so that when we walk out of here, we could could continue to sing that song. When you call us to advance Christ's kingdom to build, God, that there'd be a song in our heart that we could even, even whistle while we work for you because you love us and we're yours. God, come and meet each and every one of us. Draw each and every one of us into your presence. May the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Is it not amazing how quickly life can change? I know many of you know that. In just a moment. And really at a twinkling of an eye on a phone call. I mean, how immediately can life change? How about for those of our brothers and sisters, those churches uh, in the South that today are standing in the midst of the rubble, that even right now in the midst of their churches that were and their, their communities that were trying to find a voice, uh, trying to find a song so that they can sing to this great God in the midst of the rubble. I mean, it was just last week. It was just last week. It was Easter Sunday. And you know that some of those sanctuaries in those neighborhoods were in their Sunday finest. What an amazing deal a week makes. I'm sure that this morning, for many of our brothers and sisters in the South, that there's the sound of weeping. There's the sound of weeping mixed in with the sound of rejoicing and singing. Certainly weeping over loss of life. Certainly weeping, maybe over all they've done for a church or 
for their home. Weeping just in the rubble. But God is so good. And he's so great. And he's so with us. And because of all that Jesus Christ has done, even in the midst of the rubble, God has given us the ability and the joy and the privilege and the right to sing. So God bless our brothers and sisters that today are singing in the rubble. Maybe they're even singing forever God is faithful. Maybe they sang that song. Maybe they stood in the midst of everything that was broken and everything that was gone and everything that was lost. And maybe through the power of the Holy Spirit, they could join our song, God's song, and say forever God is faithful. I'll tell you what, what a powerful song to be able to sing that in the rubble, huh? You see, it's, it's not a contemporary song. I mean, we just sang Chris Tomlin. He's a contemporary singer. He certainly gave us a contemporary version of that song. But this is a, it's a song that's been sung. It's been sung through the ages. Uh, every time the temple's dedicated, you know what? They sing this song. God is good. His faithfulness endures forever. You read through the Psalms, you get to Psalm 118 and other Psalms, it says, God is good, his faithfulness endures forever. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact Psalm 136, it just repeats it over and over and over and over again. That God never wants us to forget who he is, his character, that he is good, that his faithfulness endures forever. So it's not a, a contemporary song, but it is a unique song. It's a unique song in this way. Only God's children can really sing it. Only those who know the reality of what God has done for us, especially in the face of his son. When we look into Jesus' face, when we see him on that cross, when we remember the empty grave, when we know he paid the price for our sins, when we know that he lives to intercede for us, when we know that he is in control of all things, we are able to say, Our God is good and his faithfulness endures forever. I love reading that Heidelberg question, number one. Nothing's going to happen to us that doesn't pass through his hand. Not even one hair could fall from our head without our heavenly father knowing it. And oh, how his spirit teaches us to sing in the midst of the rubble that his goodness lasts forever. Let me say a quick prayer for our brothers and sisters who right now are trying to get that voice and that tune in their mind in the midst of the rubble. Let's pray. Father, the reality is is that you are God and there's nothing that happens outside of your control. That includes tornadoes and tsunamis and earthquakes. And God, uh, we do know that that sin has, has wreaked havoc on your world here. But we also know that you are a good God and your your love and your faithfulness, they endure forever. And God, we pray for our brothers and sisters today and and for their neighbors who who struggle in the midst of rubble to find that song. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would well up inside of them and remind them that your love has not been touched. All of their riches in Christ have not been touched. And in the midst of the rubble, they'll be able to sing, our God is good and his love endures forever. God, cause us to be faithful to pray for them, to love them, and to show them uh, tangibly how we do love them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, I start a new uh, sermon series in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, we're going to be going through Nehemiah uh, through this summer. Now, I got to tell you, let me ask you a question. It's a little bit self-serving, but hey, I'm not opposed to that. Is your pastor the average bear pastor? I sure hope not. 
I sure hope I'm maybe a little bit different because how many pastors can start a sermon series in Nehemiah and pray and start preaching out of Ezra? That's not bad, huh? I mean, how many guys can do that? We're going to start a sermon series in Nehemiah and we're going to start in Ezra. Well, you may not know this, but Ezra and Nehemiah, originally in the Hebrew Bible, the Talmud, uh, and the oldest of the Septuagint, the Greek translation, they were one book. It was really about uh, the year 200 AD that Origen was the first to uh, separate the two books. We don't have to get worried about this. It's still God's word. If we put it together as one, it's basically one story. Or we separate them into two. It's all been preserved. It's all good. Uh, certainly Jerome, around 300 or 400, when he translated into the Vulgate, made them two distinct books. But really, we have one story. One story being told by uh, God to us. So eh, I guess I am maybe more run of the mill, but don't think I'm crazy because I'm preaching Ezra as we start Nehemiah. But it really gives us uh, a kind of a taste because these two were contemporaries. And I love what God's word says to us because God's word says in Romans 15 in the New Testament, as Paul was writing inspired by the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans, He says, hey, everything that was written for in the past, all the things that were written, including Ezra and Nehemiah, guess what? They were written for God's children. They were written for us. They were written for our instruction even now. So this was originally uh, Ezra uh, was writing. uh, He was uh, returning from exile. Let me give you a little bit of background real quickly. Ezra was a preacher, teacher. What an amazing man of God with a passion to have God's people know God's word. And he, along with a guy, Zerubbabel, don't you love that name? Zerubbabel. I don't know how I haven't baptized any Zerubbabels around here. Um, But he was like a governor of of Judah. And they were returning from exile. And God had commissioned these guys to say, hey, listen, build the temple. Rebuild the temple, the temple that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had destroyed around 586 BC, because the temple was really important. I mean, the temple for God's people, that, that, that's the place of worship. It's changed now in Christ Jesus. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But at that time, uh, the temple place of worship, the temple is a place of sacrifice, a place that they were to offer sacrifice, the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. Isn't it great to know? We don't have to bring goats in here, no sheep. The blood of Christ was sufficient. His sacrifice really worked for uh, our sins to be forgiven. But the temple was a place that God says, hey, all of creation's mine, but uniquely I'm going to put my name there. And it's going to give you distinction. This temple's going to be able to say, you are my people. Again, I can't help but automatically go right to the fact that in Jesus, you know what he says about us? We're his people. We're his distinction. We're his temple. Well, that was Ezra's job. Ezra's job was to go back and to build this temple. Nehemiah was to go back and to build a wall, uh, a wall around Jerusalem. And that, what that is, is uh, the city of God, Jerusalem, needed to have uh, some distinction with a wall and protection. I mean, you're basically a nobody city if you don't have a wall in those days. Uh, you, uh, as we read in Nehemiah, I mean, people ridiculed you, scorned you. What kind of city is Jerusalem? I mean, you say that's a city of God. Whatever, you don't even have a wall. I mean, without a wall, you can't be much better than Mayberry, all right? I mean, really, without a wall, you're you're the best at Mayberry. You maybe got a Barney Fife walking around trying to protect things. It's just not going to work. And so uh, you want that distinction, and that's what Nehemiah uh, was called to do. 
But listen, I believe that God has called us to this book at this time, at this part of our history at Orangewood for a reason. And it's really, listen, it's a call to rise and build. It's a call in the midst of everything that was happening, uh, both weeping and rejoicing, that God's people were called together under an amazing godly leader named Nehemiah to say, okay, God wants more. God, God wants to use every single one of you to build his church and to advance his kingdom. And I've been praying a long time for Nehemiah. I've been praying a long time for this moment to start that we can come together and open up this book. And I, I want you to know there's, there is a design to the madness that we're doing. I mean, the sacred journey we did together last fall, the journey to wholeness, uh, all of our equipping center series, uh, the things that we're hoping and praying for to launch in the fall, they're all by design. We, we, we're praying to the Holy Spirit to lead us. And I believe that God's called us here to Nehemiah now for us to, to chew on this work of God and say, God, what's my part in this? What are you calling me to do? Because one thing is clear about Nehemiah. It only works if they work side by side. It only works if the whole community rises up and says, God is calling us to build this city, to build this church, to advance Christ's kingdom. So be ready. Put on your seatbelts. We need everybody. There's no one who's supposed to be sitting in the background watching. God calls every single one of us in this book to action. And may his Holy Spirit stir my heart and yours together. Today we're going to look at, uh, briefly, four things. We're going to look at the context of the song. Why in the world are these people singing this song? Uh, The reason for uh, singing, the reason for weeping, uh, the call to whistle why you work. And then God is going to feed us again at the table. Um, As he calls us to go and to build and to advance his kingdom, he also empowers us to go. So that's the... uh, the overview of today. Let's talk about a little bit. I gave you a little bit of this, but the context of the song. They were like the people in the South right now singing in the rubble. This is really a song singing in the rubble. And some of you know that song all too well. Some of you in your life, uh, maybe it's through a death of a a loved one. Maybe it's through a a prodigal child. Uh, Maybe it's through a loss of a job or some financial hardship. But some of you know the difficulty of of just being able to sing in the midst of brokenness of life. And this is where we find them. It's an interesting time in God's history. God's people were returning from exile. The northern kingdom of Israel, well, they fell around 722 before Christ. Uh, The southern kingdom of Judah uh, went into exile at 586. Uh, Then the God, the God who brought them out of slavery, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that promised them a a, a land of their own, who did amazing things to give the Israelites their own land. I mean, he parted seas. He destroyed armies. He knocked over kings. He entered into relationship with them and said, I want to be your God and you're going to be my people and I'm going to give you a special place. But this God also said, hey, listen, don't have any other gods before me. Make sure that you're not running after false gods. Make sure you're not setting up idols. Make sure you're not giving your heart to others. Give your heart just to me. Because God threatened. He said this, listen, if, if, if you don't obey me, and you're my people, and you run after false gods, and, and, and you go and, and build your life not around God's word, I'm going to carry you into exile. And that's God's punishment, ultimately. He said, I'm going I'm to basically divorce you. 
and carry you into exile. But this God of ours, this God, though, the Bible says this, he's long-suffering and patient. He's gracious and forgiving. And he says, I'm going to bring him back. As a matter of fact, in the midst of this terrible time, Jeremiah wrote and said, God's going to bring you back. He's going to keep on loving you. And the things that were destroyed are going to be rebuilt. They're going to be even better. That's what it means to you and me. The things that you've lost. The things that you've been destroyed. The things that this life had just worn out. That Jesus says, in Christ Jesus, I can repair them all. In Christ Jesus, those things that have lost from me, I'm going to give you so much more. Some in this life and some in the life to come. I'm not going to give up on you. And so here we find ourselves in the midst of this, this portion of redemptive history where people are coming back. They're remembering, oh yeah, we really messed up. We got kicked out. But God loves us. We're being brought back in. That's such good news for all of us. Uh, the prophet Haggai said that, listen, he wrote to them, he says, the glory of what you're going to do, you're going to rebuild, it's going to be better than the first one. Really? It looked pretty pitiful today. And then ultimately we know that we become, through Christ Jesus, the temple of God. But all the exiles were returning home and they were extremely happy, excited. But there was also some of those who saw that first temple, they wanted to weep. It'd be like those of you who had another life, had a life that was a little bit better than it is now. Those of you who had a different condition in life and you just see where you are now and you want to weep. So some folks came back and said, God, it was so much better the way it was. Some of them are just saying, but God, you still love us. and This is great. But for all of us, God is calling us to come to him and to sing and to pray and to keep building. Because I know there's some in here today saying, man, I just remember what we were. And some saying, man, I'm so excited what we are. But for whoever you are, God is calling each and every one of us together to come together to love God and to build his kingdom. The reason for singing. Interesting, again, the song that they sang. Uh, what was that song? God is good. His love endures forever. It's a song they always sang. If you read 2 Corinthians 5, at the dedication of the Temple of Solomon, and it was an amazing day. I mean, the glory of God was there. It was so bright and beautiful. I mean, what an amazing temple it was. And guess what they sang? They sang this song. I mean, Jeremiah says, hey, when you come back, in Jeremiah 33, he says, when I bring you back, although I've destroyed everything, although the city of Jerusalem is in rubbles, and you know God takes credit for it? Amazing. He says, Although it looks really bad and bleak right now, and I bring you back, oh, here's what I want you to sing. Jeremiah 33. God is good. His love endures forever. Jeremiah said that we are to sing this familiar tongue, song. What is it? Well, singing of this, singing of God's unchanging character. God is good. Is it true? Is God really good? Does his character really not change? Is God good when your spouse says, I'm done? Is God good when the reports come back, yes, it is cancer? Is God still good when you lose your job, you lose your health, you lose your house? Your kids are going in different directions. Is God really still good? 
Let me ask you this question. Does a cloud that blocks the sun have any effect on the sun? Does it really change anything about the character and the nature of the sun? No. The reality is, is that the clouds of our life and the circumstances of our lives do not change the character of God. The Bible says that He is good forever. He's the one who defines what good is. Oftentimes we think that God who's good is going to line our pockets, keep us free and healthy all the time, never allow us to suffer, never allow us to go through the crucible of suffering and pain. Listen, God's only begotten son suffered and he learned obedience through it. We live in a fallen world. There will be clouds that roll into all of our lives and those clouds will always threaten us to look at God and say, has God changed? But no, God is good. There's no shadow of turning with our God. Our God was good yesterday. Our God is still good today. In the midst of earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, whatever God brings, He is a good God all the time. There's no shadow of changing with Him. He was good yesterday. He is good today. And you know what? We can bank on the reality, God will be good tomorrow. Everything in life changes. Your life changes. My life changes. Our circumstances change. We live in the midst of change. The one thing that we can hold on to and know for sure that never change is God and God alone. His character, His goodness, who He is. Maybe this is why Luther said, if it's true that Jesus came and he died for my sins, and if it's true that I've been made new in Christ Jesus, and if it's true that nothing now can separate us from the love of Christ, nothing. He says, God, smite, smite. May we be a people that live by faith, not by sight. May we be a people who know the reality that there is a God who's good, And although the circumstances and the seasons of our life continually go up and down, continually change, continually have highs and lows, I hope and pray that each one of us can know the amazing beauty and reality that God's love is immutable. It's unchangeable. His character is unchangeable. He is good forever. So we sing of the fact His unchanging character. We sing of His unfailing promises. Really? His unfailing promises? Really? It says God's steadfast love endures forever. It's an interesting word. Uh, This word that God's love endures forever, it could be God's loving kindness. It could be God's mercy. It's the Hebrew word hesed. Uh, it's It's one of the favorite words of the Old Testament. It's basically saying this. God keeps promises. His loving kindness never fails. His faithfulness never fails. His mercy endures forever. We are so inconsistent. The things that we say that we love and even to Him can go up and down. But God is saying, I promise to keep everything I ever promised to you. I promise. My steadfast love, this covenant love, will endure forever. And we want to say, oh, come on, God, you've promised so much in the Bible. And sometimes you see in my own life, you've delivered so little. 
How do you feel? I mean, doesn't he promise so much? What is it? How does he deliver it? And I love the fact that the people in the, in the Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah, I mean, they're choking, trying to sing, yeah, God's faithfulness endures forever. Look at the rat pile of this temple little foundation here. Look at this little guy right here. Really? God, you've promised so much. Maybe that's why Zechariah 4.10 said, don't despise little things. Don't despise those little things. That's my Haggai said, listen, I know that some of you have seen some better things in life, but right now it looks bad, but, but the glory that's coming is better. I don't know how Job did it, but Job in the Bible, if you've read the Bible, you know Job. Job, you probably, even if you had read the Bible, you hear about Job. I mean, he had more junk brought into his life than any man I've ever known. Lost everything. I mean, fame, fortune, children, lost them all. And yet Job is able to say, but I know my Redeemer lives. Amazing. How did Job know it? By God's grace and faith in this great God, he was able to say his love endures forever. Covered in sores with the pain and brokenness of his life, he's able to say by God's grace, but I know his love endures forever. And Job came to this earth years and years and years before Jesus. But the reality of Jesus Christ is this, is that all the promises of God and everything he says to us, that Jesus came to keep covenant for us and to secure all of the blessings for us, to absorb all of the curses so that we'll never have to be in exile, so that we'll always be loved. So we can sing in the midst of the rubble. God, you're changing. your character never changes. My circumstances do. But God is good. His love endures forever because I can see that cross and I know that the tomb was empty. And because of that reality, we, so much more than Job, should be able to say, I know my Redeemer lives. And therefore, God's faithfulness endures forever. Why? Because we sing to Christ the abiding foundation. Of course they were weeping over the foundation. It wasn't as good as Solomon's. Jeremiah and Haggai said that the new foundation is going to be eventually better. And they're saying this is not better. This stinks. Paul says that Jesus Christ is the true foundation. He's the true temple. And he came into that temple and he, he cleansed it and he blessed it and he filled it with his glory. But he also destroyed, said, destroy it because I got something better. And if Christ Jesus is the foundation of your life, if, if you by God's grace have come to him as your Lord and Savior, he has come and as that cornerstone of your life has given you new life. And he, you now in Christ Jesus are the fulfillment of Haggai saying that the former is going to be better than the latter. That you are going to be filled with God's glory and it'll never go into exile. It'll never be torn away. And one day he's going to come with us and bring the, the true temple down to heaven and earth. We'll meet together. Here's the reality. Is Christ Jesus the foundation of your life? That's the hope. That's the hope. That's the reason for singing in Christ Jesus. We have now the ability to sing in the rubble for the first time ever knowing that our God is good. 
His love endures forever. Yeah, there may be tears. There may be sorrow and brokenness and bitterness. But Jesus lives. He loves me. He's forgiven me. I am His. He's bringing me home. We also have reason for weeping. I woke Friday morning uh, to my phone beeping with AP breaking news. Uh, I thought maybe the storms, uh, excited. Okay, well, what's happening in the world? Breaking news. Uh, here's what I picked up my phone. Prince William and Kate were pronounced man and wife. Two billion people watched. Wow. One-third the world's population watched the royal wedding. Why? Because we love things that are regal. We love royal weddings. The first royal wedding, God was there. He was in the garden. He was the father of the bride. And he was the best man. Of course we love regal royal weddings. We've got royalty in our blood. We've been made in his image. And can you believe the hype with a royal wedding? Can you believe the, the talk about Kate's dress and the who's who, the guest list? I mean, man, oh man. I mean, this stirred, this stirred the world. Can you imagine if the wedding were in a warehouse? Can you imagine if the whole procession came right by Westminster and Cathedral, they decided, oh, we're going to have it in this little dumpy warehouse. There'd be reason for weeping. I thought there should be more than this. I thought God deserved better than this, or the, 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 the royal family deserved better than this. See, those who were weeping were weeping because the things they've lost, the glory that they lost, things aren't what they used to be. Haggai 2, 3 through 10. I don't have time to read that for you. I encourage you to read that because he says specifically to people, listen, those of you who used to see the old glory and you see this right now, be of good cheer. God's doing more. Some of you right now in your life feel like you want to weep because the things aren't what they used to be. Some of you, uh, secondly, they aren't what they are supposed to be. There's glory missing. In this temple, there was no ark. No Shekinah glory. I mean, isn't, it, isn't God's ark supposed to be here? Isn't his special presence supposed? Isn't there things missing? Don't you feel that with your own life? Don't you feel that with your own church? Listen, things aren't what they're going to be. Glory is coming. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Glory is coming. Let me summarize this to you, Orangewood, this way. Many of you have been here for a long time, some through our storefront years, some through our Trinity Woods years, uh, some through this. Maybe you've seen a lot of glory here and seen an amazing man of God that God raised up to start this whole thing. And some think, man, I just, I just wish what we were what we used to be. And some of you may come and say, it just seems like, man, it's good, but it's just not quite white. Of course not. God's not calling us to the past. He's not even, he's just saying we're here now, but he's calling us to rise and build for the future because his glory is coming. We're his, we're his temple. He's doing amazing work in us and, and now he wants to do more. And, and the study of Nehemiah is going to be the call for us to side by side, rise and build and advance Christ's kingdom for each and every one of us. Well, we can lament what we were. We can get stuck in where we are but we can dream of what God has for us moving forward, allowing him to come and cleanse our temple to shine for us and to build this church so we could truly sing so loud that everyone hears us, sometimes weeping 
but say there's more to be done. There's more. There's more to yet to come here in this city, here at Orangewood. Come and join us. Yes, there's reason for weeping, but God has called us to rise up, to whistle while we work, to build for Christ Jesus. That's what he's called us to do right now. Build our life that could bring him honor and glory. Don't look backwards. Don't rest on your laurels. Move forward to build Orangewood. My brothers and sisters, God wants us to sing today, maybe in the midst of the rubble of our lives or where we are, but sing for his glory. Sing about his character. Sing about his love that is never failing. Go tell his story. May he come and do great things right here in our midst. I believe there's more to come. I mean, there's more to be done. A better way of loving our neighbors. A better way of loving our God. A better way of showing mercy ministry. There's more to do for the glory of God. We're his temple. We're his story. We're his people. And as we go, he wants to feed us this meal. He wants to strengthen us. He goes, listen, you're never going to go alone. Wherever you go, I'll be with you. But I have a meal that is for my family. Just for my family. Just like that song, God is good and his faithfulness endures forever. Really, it's not a contemporary song. It's a forever song in the Bible. But it's a song just for his family. This is a meal just for his family. Those that by God's grace know that in Jesus Christ, you now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You now are the story. You now are the one that God has called to whistle while you work and to even sing in the midst of the rubble. But he doesn't want to leave you alone. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us this meal to come and to strengthen us for our song, to remind us that our God is good. His love endures forever. Jesus was broken to heal us. So we're going to ask you to come forward. Uh, We have uh, um, some ability for you to come to different tables. We're going to ask that those on the uh, floor come first. Um, There'll be a table back there for this section. Uh, You guys can come here and some of the middle sections of these can come forward. Uh, There's a table back there as well. After the uh, floor is served, we'll have you come uh, from the bleachers. Um, the thought of, do we have communion after we had it on Monday, Thursday? As your pastor, I say, I want to give my people the means of grace every chance I can. And to have them feed and remember on Christ Jesus every chance they can. Because God has called us to go and whistle in the dark sometimes, sing in the rubble, and to tell his story. And he's going to strengthen us through this. So let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you and your love never change, that your faithfulness endures forever, that you give us reasons to sing in the midst of the rubble. God, thank you for raising up Ezra and Nehemiah to do amazing work at the time of your people at that time. But God, you've called us for this time to do amazing work for King Jesus. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come with such power through this meal that you'd remind us of the broken body of Christ. You would remind us of the shed blood and you would do more than just remind us, but you would be here spiritually in a way that feeds us and strengthens us and allows us to sing and shout for your glory. So come and feed us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
On the night that Christ was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke that bread. He said, this is my body given for you. Given for you, so you could become the temple. So you could become my children. I'm doing this for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In like manner, he took the cup. He said, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. It represents my blood that is shed for the forgiveness of sins of many. The many being my children, for all of my children. So do this in like manner, in remembrance of me. Again, it's a meal exclusively for Jesus' family. If you here today don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Scripture says don't do that externally, which points to an internal reality. Do something much greater. Embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. But for all of you who love Jesus, for all of you who now are the temple of the Holy Spirit, for all of you who have been called to sing, even in the midst of the rubble, come and feed on him and let him strengthen us. We're going to do intention today, by the way. Um, if you could take a piece of bread, dip it into the wine. You don't drink from the chalice, just dip it in the wine. Uh, take it, partake, and then go back to your seats. But come, people of God.